turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4 and happy Mother's Day. Amen. Mom is wow upside down. I try to say that every year, but uh, how many are grateful for mama? I'm grateful for mama. Amen. Uh, we're talking about the press. We're talking about pressing. And we, we shared with you last time we were together is that people want the will of God to play out in their life. But many times it has to be pressed out. You know, we're very comfortable in who we are and what we do. Every man's ways is right in their own eyes. We get kind of set in what we want to do and how we want to do it. We kind of get very, very um, protective over our thoughts, ideas, the way we see life, the lens that we see life. Um, and as you grow and as you get older, the more and more you get rigid you know, in these belief systems and in the way that you see and perceive life. But how many realize that God has more for us than what we perceive and what we would even know? And in fact, the Bible is never written so that you could come to your own conclusions or to your own ideas. The Bible is written to give you specifically how God thinks about things and what is his thinking in regards to the things that are around us. See, people will say, well, I have a right to my beliefs. No, you don't. Not as a, not as a Christian, you don't. You, you don't have a right to your own beliefs. You have a right to believe what the Word of God says. If you're a believer, a true believer, because lordship basically says my life's not my own, I'm yours. Amen? So we don't have a right to, you know, a lot of people will use religion or church to find themselves. That's never the purpose of salvation is to find you. I, I'm pretty well aware of who I am. How about you? And it's not too good. <laughs> it's not too good. Um, it's about finding him finding Christ, and then allowing his life to become your life, allowing his life to not just be within you, but to manifest through you. So it's very important that we understand that, you know, Christianity isn't about living for God. It's allowing God to live through us. And, and that's where the freedom is. That's where <clears throat> the, the wonderful things about the things of God are is when we allow him to live his life through our life and uh, we yield ourselves up. And that comes through process. It, it, it doesn't just happen because we walk, you know, necessarily through this life that you can walk through this life and not walk with the Lord. It's very simple. You know, you can love Jesus and love the Bible and not know any of it, not know 
the Bible, not really even know the Lord. You can be a card-carrying Christian and member of a local assembly, but yet not really have a relationship with the Lord at all. There's lots of people like that. And uh, so, you know, they're not in a love relationship with the Lord in the sense that they are allowing that relationship to form and mold that you, you know them into the image of Jesus. And that's really what discipleship is about. That's why we come here today. I don't come here for the music. I don't come here for the pageantry. I don't come here for, you know, fellowship even. I don't come here because this is my only social uh, gathering that I come to a week. I come here for one reason, to be conformed into the image of his son through the teaching of the word and the interaction that I get from his presence corporately and by iron sharpening iron with my fellow brothers and sisters. Amen? So that is really what we're here to do. We're here to yield ourselves and allow the word of God and the spirit of God to begin to take his hand and begin to mold and conform us to where we're no longer ourselves, but we are becoming him. Amen? Your life is found when you lose your life. Jesus said that. If you'll lose your life, you'll find life. And so we've got to lose our life, and, and that is really uh, can be some of the most perplexing pressure-filled times is when we reach the intersection of our own passions and desires and the will of God. And that's what we're talking about, okay? Now, I will tell you that you don't run into these intersections every day. You run into them at seasons of your life as God progressively begins to mold and conform you into the image of Jesus. Now, we should always be praying. We should always be reading the Word. We should always be serving and growing in God. But you and I both know that within that daily routine, we come to situations in our lives in which there's a major intersection where we will have to make a very specific decision about our relationship with the Lord. How many know what I'm talking about? If you've never had these, you hadn't walked with the Lord very much, okay? There's going to be a time in which the honeymoon phase is over and you come to a place in which your desires and your will are at odds with God's plan for your life. And you're going to have to make a decision to either go with the Lord or go the way of your passions, and many people have went the way of their passions and it has caused them great delay in the fulfillment of what God wants to do in their life. And others have went through what I have, I've, you know, I'm not batting a thousand on this. How about you? Anybody batting a thousand on this? I'm not batting a thousand on this. There's been many times that I've turned away from the process that God wants. The limits come from you, friend. It doesn't come from the Lord. We limit God when we do not allow him to work in our lives through our cooperation in the transformation from one form to the other. Amen? And so when Jesus in Gethsemane 
the, the God-man, God manifest in the flesh, if he wrestled with his own personal passions and will and desire and God's will and desire, you're going to wrestle with it as well. And he wrestled with it with the full intensity of the sins of the world on his life. You know, we don't resist unto blood, the Bible says. We haven't had to resist like he's had to resist. But we have come to places in our lives where we've had to say, not my will, but yours be done. Amen? Amen. And those are tough prayers. That's some tough praying, man. That's some tough praying. And so what we're gleaning from is secrets of Gethsemane. And uh, there's a lot of Christians that are very, very, uh, they've, they've entered a state of arrested development in the sense that they don't feel that they're crossing into new territory. They feel stuck. Have you ever felt stuck? Yeah. You know, they're, they're in a, di- you know, a ditch. They're in a rut, so to speak, you know. And they just don't seem to be able to be taking new ground. They're getting very discouraged. <clears throat> they're disappointed. And the joy of their salvation is not prominent in their life. I shared with you, and it's a pretty bold statement, but it is a statement that is truth, <clears throat> is that your level of experiencing the kingdom of God is based upon your last press. Your last press. Because the only way I can go from one form to the other is if I'm pressed. Now, I'm not talking about sickness and disease. I'm not talking about, you know, poverty and things that Jesus died for. I'm talking about the pressing of your will conforming to God's will. When you are just at the point where you say, I don't know if I can do this. God's asking me to do this. I don't know if I can. When you graduate from that place successfully, you actually begin to conform into the image of Jesus. And that's really what the whole point is, is to conform you to Jesus. Jesus himself, the the writer of Hebrews says, he learned obedience through what? Through the things he, oh, we don't like that word, but uh, he, he wasn't suffering sickness and disease. He was suffering having to do the will of God in a world that was not operating in the will of God. And that, that's really, you know, the crux of it, isn't it? We see people that are not walking in obedience to God, and we get envious because they're able to have all this broad margin, or so we perceive, and we're having to make decisions and feel like very constricted in what we can do and what we can't do. And uh, sometimes we think, well, my goodness, I don't know if it's worth it anymore. Well, I'm here to tell you that what you perceive their life is, is not really what's going on. Because people that live with slack in their life do not have the necessary tension to be able to get to new places. You you don't have any tension. You have nothing that pulls you up and pulls you in to other things. And people that live very slack lifestyles and very open lifestyles with no decision-making or no committal whatsoever, they find themselves very frustrated. Although it looks like they have freedom where you don't have freedom. Come on, somebody say amen. It's the truth. It's the truth. And we get, uh, you know, um, Asaph, one of the Psalmists, you know, he talked about uh, the wicked. You know, he talked about it. He was envious of the wicked. 
And many times we can be envious of the wicked because, you know, each one of us is called and we know that there are certain things that we cannot do. We cannot step over because of our relationship with the Lord. And it gets very burdensome at times when we don't have the life and the joy and the peace that Jesus provided. And many times Christians are suffering in their life in regards to peace because of not making the decision to do the will of God. Hello. Have you ever reached an intersection and God is requiring you to go a certain place, do a certain thing, or even abandon something that you may have thought or perceived? You know, some, some, of, the, some of our philosophies and ideologies and things that we have used throughout our life, we can be very protective of. And God's saying, no, that's not, that's not the way it is. You know, are you reading the word and it's something completely different? And you're going, oh my goodness, you know what, what's going on here? And um, God begins to deal with that attitude. He begins to deal with that way, that perception. Well, sometimes those can be as painful as losing a house. They can be as painful as losing a job. They can be as painful as, as losing a relationship when you're confronted with who you are. Because here's, here's the thing is, you are not as smart as you think you are. You don't know everything. You are not the end-all, be-all about everything. It's amazing how we can write books about others, but we're blind and can't even make a paragraph about ourselves. I mean, I can look at Daniel and I can make a, write a book, write a list, what he needs to change in his life, you know, and he can do the same, same, same with me. Does that mean I'm right? Does that mean I'm right? No, absolutely not. I'm just going by my perception. I don't know what's going on in that man's heart. I don't know what's going on on the inside of him, but yet we think we know everything. We got the answer to everybody's problem. You know, we give advice by the bucket full and we take it by the drop <laughs> because everybody thinks they're right. And you know, one of the ways that keeps you from stepping over into new realms is your perception of who you think you are and what you think you can do. And the only way that can be broken down is through press. It's the only way they can break, break it down. You know, when I was in the hospital, um, you know, facing the situation that I had, I hit the wall. Has anybody ever hit the wall? You just hit the wall. I mean, I knew things and, you know, I perceived things about God and I really felt like I had, had it together. But then I hit a wall. Hello. It's like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. You know, I, I, I felt like I had it. I'd been in the ministry for many years. I felt like that, you know, I had what it takes to be able to overcome this. And then I hit this wall. And I came to the utter end of myself. Has anybody ever came to the end of their self? Yeah, I came to the utter end of myself. And that's really what we fear. We fear that. We fear not being enough. We fear not being able to answer. We fear not being able to overcome. 
being insufficient. How many like to be insufficient? How many like hearing somebody say, you're insufficient? <laughs> you do not measure up. You are not enough. That are, those are things we don't want to hear. Those are fears that we have. Well, I came to the end of myself where I was insufficient. I was not enough. I did not have it in the bag. I didn't have it figured out. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no future at that time. I had no future. I had hit the wall. Where you come to the end of yourself is where God is. That's where God is. See, I hit the place where there was a delineation that I could not go into unless I went through a press. Because the answer, listen to this very closely, the answer to getting over to the other side is I had to change form. A lot of people are not experiencing great breakthrough in their life. And it's because their present form has achieved everything that that form can achieve. If I'm an orange, and I like being an orange, and I live my life that I'm always going to be an orange, I'm not talking about OSU. I'm talking about a physical orange. If I'm a physical orange and I pride myself on being an orange, well, I'm an orange. That's what we are. And I raise my little orange babies. You're orange. You're an orange. That's who we are. And then God says, oh, I got something for you to do. But you can't go there like an orange. They need something to quench their thirst and give them a more direct line to some vitamin C. I need you to become orange juice. So what does that mean to the orange? That means the orange has to say, I've got to sacrifice my beautiful rind, my beautiful color, my beautiful, perfect shape that everybody just talks about. People don't like this. They don't like this. And something's going to come and squeeze the fire out of me until I give up. Hello. Is this too intense for you? It's Happy Mother's Day. But the problem is, is God's wanting me to step over in another form. And I want to stay the old form. I want to stay the old way. All of us have done it. I've done it. All of us. We've all fought to stay the same. All of us. Jesus talked about this all the time in his ministry. He said, except the kernel of, of wheat fall or seed go into the ground and die, 
it will not yield fruit. Over and over in his transitional ministry, he talked about changing from one form to another. He started preparing his disciples and saying stuff like, it's expedient that I go away. It's, it's to your advantage that I change shape. Well, if Jesus was asked to change shape, don't you think that you will also be asked to change shape? Why? Because we're so far removed from the image of Jesus that it takes our whole life to be able to get some semblance of the master. I'm talking about myself. You're perfect. I know that you, you guys got it all together and you're Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But listen, I've had some stuff have to be sanded off of me. I've, I've had some stuff to, you know, get in there and, and just, you know, get the hammer and knock stuff off of me that just was not in the image of Christ. And the only way I'm going to get there is through pressing. It's not just going to play out. It's not just going to come because God wants it to come. God desires me and you to look like Jesus, but it's not automatic. I have Jesus on the inside of me. I have the perfect son of God living on the inside of me. He wants to work himself out. And that's really the thing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. See, we work out Christ in us, the hope of glory. To where our outer life mirrors the inner life. Amen? Let's read some scripture, all right? It says in verse number one, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. We have been in a church culture that has rejected suffering. and has taught people to try to bring them in that they won't experience certain things if they'll come to the Lord. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now listen, Jesus redeemed us from sickness and disease. Jesus redeemed us from poverty. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. We know that. But that has to be worked out in a growth lifestyle with the Lord. There's people that want the benefits without the relationship, and it doesn't work that way. You can only go through a press with the Lord if you've got a relationship with him. Otherwise, you're going to misinterpret everything, and you're going to see God as the villain. Because everybody wants to receive from the hand of God, but to be conformed in the image of Jesus is a little bit tougher. But see, rewards and things come into our life as we progressively transform into the image of the Lord. God only blesses what is his in our life. He doesn't bless us, per se, on our own individual merit. He blesses Christ in us. He blesses when we're obedient to the word of Christ, when Christ is being developed in our lives, then the blessing's automatic. Amen? Okay. So he says, arm yourself with this same way of thinking. 
For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And that's really what the press is. It's when your human passions and desires and the will of God intersect. And you know that somebody's going to win and someone's going to lose. You know walking away from that intersection, your life's going to change. It's either going to go one way or it's going to go the other. Amen? Now, that doesn't happen every day, guys. That doesn't happen every day. It doesn't even happen every month. But it happens frequently in your life that you have to make a decision to resist your way, your will, your plan, and step into what God has for you. And that is where the levels of intensity and satisfaction in your salvation come from. Boy, it's quiet in this Presbyterian house. Come on now. I'm just telling you the truth. You've got to make a decision. The level of your life, and I say this, and I'm not going to, you know, and, and people get offended by it, but that's all right. You need to get offended. There, see, the problem is, is we're not offensive in the church. We're not teaching the truth where people get mad. I want one of two things. I want you rejoicing that God spoke to you, or I want you mad at me, mad at, come on, because that means you're engaged. Walking out in indifference is not what we're for. Because when you're operating in indifference, friends, you're going nowhere. You're going nowhere. But I'm here to tell you that if I can agitate you, and if I can knock you off high center and get you to think and engage, then I have helped you get on a quest that's going to get to the place where you want to go. But, you know, how many realize the greatest breakthrough that happens in your life always happens after a failing? Or after someone told you how the cow ate the cabbage? Hello. I mean, how many like that? You know, generally we come to people and say, I'm not experiencing breakthrough in my life. I'm just, I'm just not sensing the, the spirit of the Lord, and it just seems like my prayer life is just not where it needs to be. And, and I don't understand, you know, is there something wrong with me? And then someone has the nerve. Tell me, because I don't want to hear that. That's not why I said that to you. I said that to you so you could say, well, honey, baby, I don't know what's going on in your life. You, bless your heart, you seem to be doing really well. You know, from what I perceive, you should have the, you know, the world by the tail. You know, I mean, you know, there certainly can't be anything you're doing. That's what we like to hear. But that is not the truth. One thing you learn when you grow in God is that if your life sucks, it's because you suck. (laughs) 
That's a rough way. That's a rough, that's a rough word, man. That's a rough word. But it's the truth. It's the truth. A man's life depends solely upon the seed in which he sows. Seed time and harvest works in your life, good and bad, all the time. It's God's justice. Oh, we don't like this stuff. I know we don't like it, but it's the truth. Okay? So I'm going to real quickly in the seven minutes that I have remaining, I'm going to go through something that I've taught you before, but I think bears repeating because people have a hard time understanding the process of God. Many times we can conflate or confuse the process of God with an attack of the devil. Now, listen, I'm not saying God does not tempt us with evil. He does not use evil as a way of schooling us. He does not bring tragedy, sickness, disease, and death to get you to make decisions. Life is filled with that enough already. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Can I learn through the things in my life? Yes, I can. But they're not brought there. God says, well, I need to humble my brother, so I'm going to bring this tragedy into his life so he'll seek me. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? Is God a thief? Come on. Does God kill? Does he destroy? No, not, not in the sense that the devil does. We understand that. He likes to destroy strongholds. He likes to destroy bondages. Amen? And uh, we need to understand that when we're, when we're operating because sometimes when we're going through something, we can misperceive that this is the enemy and we can resist the process of God. And uh, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, God, God's telling us, you, you need to go uh, teach in, uh, you know, nursery class. Get thee behind me, Satan. You need to do that. Come on now, get thee behind me, Satan. Or you need to, you know, uh, sell all you have and get out of debt. Get thee behind, you know. We're so locked in to our identity in our kingdom and setting in our throne that many times the Lord is offering a way out, we can't see it because we can't see the forest for the trees. Are you with me? Is it too cold in here, dear? Are you sure? Is it cold? Can we get some air change? I don't want to go over there and do that while I'm talking. But I see women covering up and I get concerned. Amen. Are you with me? So I'm going to give you, and I'm going to give you the reference, and I'm going to go through them, and you can study it on your own. But I've taught you this before, and it bears repeating because you need to understand the process of God, the process of the press. Because we're going to get into some deep stuff next week. We're going to get in a betrayal. We're going to get in abandonment. Those are all part of the press. They're not given by God, but when you start pressing into God, you're going to face opposition. 
You're going to face opposition from the wicked one. You, you know, people will get in your way. Did you know that? People will get in your way. You remember the man that was at the pool of Bethesda? You know, and he'd been there for years and years, 30 some odd years. And what did he say when Jesus said, wilt thou be made whole? He said, I want to be whole. He said, but every time I try to go in there, when the water stirred, a man gets in there before I do. You know, the enemy will put men in front of you. How about the paralytic born by four? He couldn't even get in to see Jesus. Who was blocking the way? Doctors, religious leaders, and legalists. You want to know what's going to keep you from getting to Jesus? It's going to be doctrines of religious. You're not. It's going to keep you. You're, you're going to have to tear the tile out of the roof. You're going to have to. Lope, you're going to have to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation because those doctors and lawyers and those religious, uh, you know, professors, they're not going to let you in and get your healing. people will get in your way. And if you don't understand where you're at on this pathway, on this, you're not going to know where you're going. And many of you are camping right at the start, camping, because you're afraid to pay the price. Anything God asks you to do costs you up front. Anything God asks you to do costs you up front. And we don't like that. We'd rather, you know, we, we believe in credit. You know, let's get, let's take it out of the store now. And when the bill comes, we'll see about it. <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind, of, kind of the attitude of our culture. Okay? But that's not the way God works. Okay? So in 2 Kings chapter 2, a little story that's about 15 verses long is the transition from Elijah to Elisha. Now, Elisha had been following and serving Elijah for 20 years, over 20 years. And now it was time for Elijah to transition and Elisha to become something new. He was going to step in to Elijah's ministry, but not as Elijah, but as Elisha. Amen? And it wasn't no three-month intern program. It wasn't just doing summer camp. It was 20-plus years of seeing the super rubbed off of Elijah's natural because they didn't just see the good things. Elisha saw the bad things. Elisha saw the, the indecisiveness the emotional up and down, the fact that Elijah was a human being. And that can be very, very difficult at times, especially when you put people on pedestals that they should not be at. Jesus should be exalted, not men. We honor men of God and women of God. We honor them, but we don't put them in a position to where they easily fall off. And we have a tendency to do that. You know, when you realize that they don't operate supernaturally every day of their life, you begin to start having questions. And guess what? When you pass judgment on someone like that, it comes back on you because there's going to be someone else that's going to be looking at you, realizing that you're not just supernatural at the Walmart. Hello. 
You know, I think about the supernatural power of God in David's life, but David was not a good father. Did that negate the fact that he was a man after God's own heart? No, it didn't. But he wasn't this and he wasn't that. I'm not this. I'm not that. There are things that I'm horrible at. So if you follow and work for someone and are, uh, you know, being mentored by this person, you're going to get exposed to the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it takes maturity and growing in maturity to be able to weather that storm. One of the best tests that you'll ever get is realizing that the person that you are following is flawed and is human. You get a hold of that, you're going to be a happier person. Amen? But we don't tend to do that. We tend to put people on pedestals. We tend to put them up in places they shouldn't be. And when they fall... We fall with them. No. How can I help somebody up if I fell down the same way they fell down? Man, you know, get on the level ground. Realize that people are not perfect. No one is perfect but Jesus. So, I mean, he was depressed. He'd get down and depressed and get down in the black. He'd call fire down on, you know, I mean, you know, he, he was a man with like passions, the Bible says, just like you and I. So he's following 20, and he knows that there's transition happening. And many of you know in your spirit that some transmogrification is going to be happening in your life. You were an orange, now you're going to change into orange juice. But there's a process. Four towns they visited, four towns in the scripture. They visited Gilgal, they visited Bethel, they visited Jericho, and they visited Jordan. And these four towns are keys into understanding the process of the press. Because each one of these towns has historical and revelatory significance. If we study the history of these towns, we can study what these towns mean as landmarks in our walk with the Lord. The first place that he visited was Gilgal. And Gilgal is not a place you want to vacation. It's not a place that you want to stay. The word Gilgal means the, uh, um, <clears throat> the circuit. It means the start of the circle. Okay? So when you draw a circle, you know, on your notes, you start at one point, and then you go around and to the end point. And Gilgal is always the starting place. Now, I shared with you that God takes payment up front. Gilgal is the place in which the children of Israel, after 40 years of wandering, submitted themselves to circumcision. Now, the Bible talks about physical circumcision as far as the covenant of Abraham. But it also, in the New Testament, talks about circumcision of the heart. So Gilgal is the place of cutting away. It's the place where the process begins, and it starts with a cutting away of an aspect of your life that will be a hindrance to you in your journey. It means this. There are things in my life God wants to deal with that are not conducive to me experiencing victory in my future. 
Are you awake out there? Gilgal's not the place, you know, you want to camp in, but a lot of people won't submit to Gilgal. And there's a lot of people that have a, a, a point of arrested development because they refuse to allow God to remove something in their life. It could be unforgiveness. It could be offense. It could be hurt and pain, attitude towards someone. It could be a failing or something that you've got PTSD. Did you know you can have PTSD by being sick in the hospital? You can actually be so fearful that you're going to go back to the hospital that it continues on a cycle of sickness. Did you know that you can, you know, get to where uh, uh, you can have a failing or have disappointment in your life to where you consistently experience disappointment because you expect it? And God wants to free you. Some of, some of you are held in bondage by fear, fear of something. I know that fear is something that I deal with, and God wants to cut it out, okay? And I'll give you a quick illustration of Gilgal. That is a very practical illustration of Gilgal. Because many times we think that these have to be major decisions, like, like world-altering decisions. No, they can be very practical Simple, everyday, minutiae decisions, okay? I remember when we were in the other building, we had experienced, you know, just a, a great amount of growth, and, and the Lord had blessed us. But then we went through a season, as all churches do, in which the, the revenue was kind of stagnant. Okay, you know, I mean, it wasn't coming in like it was previous months. And uh, so we were having to do some things, get, get creative, get innovative, where once we were able to have just great flexibility with our finances, now we were having to be a little bit more um, conservative and not able to do everything we wanted to do. And I was over there, and I was, I was crying and whining as a form of prayer. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we think that sometimes our, our crying and whining is, is a form of prayer? And, uh, you know, some way, somehow, and all them foolish things, you know, that you say when you're just at the end of yourself in regards to this. We'd fasted, we'd prayed, we'd sought the Lord, no answer, we'd hit the wall. There just seemed to be absolutely no way it didn't look like it was going to do very good. It looked like it was going to last forever. How many have ever been there? Looks like it's going to last forever. You're going to be sick forever. You're going to be broke forever. You're going to be, you know, come on now. And, and I was there, and I'm sitting there praying and, and asking the Lord to break me through. And here's the thing. You know, when I began to pray, God didn't send an angel down with $5,000. He didn't send nothing. What he told me to do was, was Gilgal. He told me. He said, get your checkbook. At that time, we had checkbooks, you know. He said, get your checkbook. I got a couple places for you to go. I said, oh, well, that sounds good. Checkbook, money, they go together. Maybe the Lord's going to do something there, you know. But you need to realize Gilgal always costs you up front. This will help you if you'll get a hold of this. So he says, I want you to go, and he named two houses, 
of families that were in the church at the time. Don't look around, try to figure out who they are. But he says, I want you to go and I want you to pay their electric bills. And I forgot when I told this at nine o'clock, I forgot that it was hot summertime. Hot summertime. And I've been in these people's houses and you could hang meat in their houses. I mean, they, had, they, they were big people, and they had to have that cooling. You know, they had to have, so you got some kind of idea about what an electric bill is going to look like, you know, in regards to that. He said, go and pay these electric bills. And I said, no, oh, I don't know about this. I mean, uh, you know, I've got money problems. See, God uses the very thing that is your problem. Because money was my perceived problem. I thought money was my perceived problem, but no, it wasn't. When you go through the process of this, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, you realize money's not your problem. You are your problem. Hello? So, so I'm sitting there, and you know, it's like Gilgal. So, I mean, he's telling me, you know, go in there. It's like, oh, you know, that was like very tender area, you know. I mean, come on. Do I you really have to do that? Can I just pray some more or do something, you know? I mean, I, we really don't have it to, to do this, you know. And he said, get up, get in your car, and go to this person's house and tell them you're going to pay their electric bill. And he forbade me to call and ask them so I could get some kind of idea of where we're at. You know, <laughs> because I had some kind of, you know, you always have a number in your head, you know, of what it's going to look like. You always imagine what it's going to look like. It never looks like what it looks like. And so I pull up, knock on the door. Well, hey, Pastor, how are you doing? Feel that cold air coming through, you know? I said, I'm not here to visit. I said, the Lord has sent me. I, I need to pay your electric bill. <laughs> oh, praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for helping me. Thank you, Lord, for doing it. And, you know, I'm starting to feel pretty good about this. You know, feeling real good, you know, that I obeyed the Lord. They're responding, you know, in a way. I've clearly heard from the Lord. I'm feeling a little good. So I said, just get your bill and show it to me, and I'll write out the check. Well, as they hand me the bill, there's stamped on the bill. Stamped on the bill is Late. Stamped on the bill is final notice. So this is not just a regular, normal bill. This is, and I look at it, and it's like 400 it's $307, $400. And I'm like, oh, my. I mean, my goodness gracious, Gilgal hit. I'm going to have to give up and write a check for this, it's costing me. Okay? 
Well, they're all happy, and I leave there, and now i got to go to another one. And I knock on the door, same thing. That air just flows through there. I get cooled off just on their porch. <laughs> it's 105. <clears throat> well, I'm here to help. The Lord sent me. I'm here to write you a check for your, for your electric bill. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They were coming at 2 o'clock. And my soaps come on. I didn't want to miss them. And I'm glad that you're going to keep. This is serious. I'm glad you're, you're going to keep my electric on, you know. Hello. Now, the amazing thing about it. Now, these people don't go here anymore, and you ain't going to try to find them. I ain't going to tell you. But I knew that these people were going to be in the same situation. But that don't mean anything to God. He, either I'm going to go through Gilgal or I'm not. Either I'm going to be obedient or I'm not. Wasn't a matter whether I thought they were worthy of it. It's what he said do. They send me a bill. Final notice. It's all, it's also about four hundred, three hundred, seventy-five, four hundred dollars. So I write the check, you know, and I give it to them, and I walk away. Now here's the deal: the next place you go to is Bethel. Bethel's a place of revelation. Bethel's a place in which the gateway of God is. It's where it's where when you when you're obedient to Gilgal, you can step in, and God begins to. Move, but here's the here's where we mess up. We think Bethel is the place in which we're going to automatically be rewarded for our obedience at Gilgal. No, it's a place of the wrestle. Did you know that that's where uh, Jacob wrestled with God? Hello, it's where his name was changed. And that's really the process. You go from a place where God cuts something off of you. What was he cutting off of me? He wasn't just taking money out of my pocket. He was taking away the fear of loss. He was taking away the fear of failure. He was taking away the fear of poverty. He was taking away the fear of failure. That's what he was doing. Because he was disengaging me away from the thing that I thought was my problem. And he says, that money's not your problem. It's your attitude. Oh, come on now. It's your attitude and mindset towards money that is keeping you in the poorhouse. You apparently think that money is more than it is. As far as I'm concerned, I'm your source. I'm teaching you that I'm your source, and I'm putting you in a place of suffering to realize that. So you're going to wrestle with your doubts. You're going to wrestle with your unbelief. You're going to wrestle with the timing. You're going to wrestle with the fact that, you know what, the world keeps a turning, and guess what, the electricity in this place, the meter kept a turning as well. But I'm going to deliver you from the source of your lack. Not just pick fruit off the tree. My axe is laid at the root of the tree. I'm going to get rid of the spiritual 
source of your dilemma, which is your spiritual connection with the spirit of poverty. And I'm going to release you from that. And you have to put yourself in a position of loss in order to see it. Hello. So I wrestled. And weeks, you know, a couple weeks went by, and it just turned, you know, it just turned. But then when prosperity came, I came to Jericho. And Jericho is the place of the test. That's where God says, okay, well, I bailed you out. I, I helped you out. Now he's going to test me with what he's given me. So situation comes, am I going to be, am I going to have the urgency without the emergency? Am I going to be obedient in times of plenty? Because people have no problem when you're desperate and someone says, this is what you got to do to get out of it. You're very willing. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm willing. I'll do that. But boy, when the wallet gets fat. When the options are, when the base is wide and you're in a place of margin and God tells you, do this and write this check, do this, it's a place of the test. So you've got to make a decision. Am I going to pass it? Am I going to do it in prosperity like I did it in poverty? Am I going to do it in, in abundance when it was lack in my life? And praise God, I have to tell you, I failed at that. And I've also succeeded at that. I think all of us could say that. You know, there's times in which you forget where you came from. You forget what God did for you. You forget it. You forget what it felt like. You know, God makes so, makes so many things sweet in our lives that we lose the taste of bitterness, don't we? we? We lose that taste sometimes. And God's saying, listen, I want to bring you to a place of Christ-likeness or you're no longer manipulated by whether you're, you know, that's what Paul said. I learned in all things to be content. I've learned to abound. I've learned to be abased. I've learned to have lack. I've learned to have abundance. I have learned these things. How did he learn them? Through going through the press. Because when you go through the press, you don't come out the same way. You're not the same size. When you're stretched, you don't return to your original proportions. And that's what Christ-likeness and the molding of Christ-likeness is for our lives. Amen? But once you pass that test of Jericho, you come to Jordan. Jordan is a place in which Elisha found himself with a river and he knew that he had to pass over. He passed over on dry ground because his mentor opened it. But now it's just him. Well, if he hadn't went to Gilgal, he wouldn't be at this place. If he hadn't went to Bethel, he wouldn't be at this place. If he hadn't went to Jericho and passed the test, he wouldn't be at this place. But he took the same mantle, the mantle of his mentor, 
and he slapped the waters and he walked over in dry ground. And what that shows us is this. If we go through the process of the press, God will take care of the things we cannot take care of. He will change the environment by spiritually bringing his presence in that causes the natural to bow to the supernatural. And that's where we want to be. Amen? Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, God is good. I said God is good. Praise the Lord. I've ran out of time. God is good and greatly to be praised. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, I'm excited about this next week. I'm excited about disclosure. I'm excited about what's going on. Just encourage you, bring, invite people. We love seeing you. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus or you need to be born again or you need to rededicate your life to the Lord or you need deliverance or healing in your life, we're going to have people right here at the end of service and they're going to be able to pray with you about anything that you might need prayer for. So I encourage you as I close the service, as I'm going to here in just a minute, come and see them. Don't walk away with your needs unmet. God is here and he's ready with his hands open to meet your need. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>